Hello and welcome back to West Bank Bible Church Podcast. Good to have you with us. I'm here with Pastor Merrick. And today we will be looking at the anthropology of sin. We'll have the outline there with the podcast. You can also find it at westbankbiblechurch.com under Pastor Merritt Study Books. Before we begin, as is our custom, let's remember 1 John 1.9 as may or may not be necessary. <coughs> Father, we're grateful for the privilege of being able to come and to present the Word of God. Guide and direct us now as we utilize 1 John 1, 9 as appropriate and look at one more the one of the more complex doctrines. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. No discussion of sin as it relates to the believer and his position in Christ is more important than 1 John 3, verses 4, 5, and 6. And I shall read. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. That would be <coughs> the, the uh, Mosaic law predominantly. For sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, he being Christ, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Now that's a puzzling scripture, and it will be answered in this doctrine. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, and neither known him. I'm going to read that one again. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he, Christ, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him neither known him. And that is a particular sin and that will be defined in the doctrine of the anthropology of sin. Point two, the deeper meaning of these verses can only be understood when a distinction between the sins of regenerate man, that is the believer, and unregenerate men is kept in mind. Kenneth Wiest has written of the meaning of 1 John 3, verses 4, 5, and 6, particularly verse 6. And I'll quote, Everyone who keeps on continually sinning has not seen him, neither known him, this is an unsaved person. The verb seen and known are in the perfect tense. And that is very important. The perfect tense means to do something in the past with the result that it is done. 
So the verbs seen then and known are both in the perfect tense. Completed action in the past with the result that it now stands complete. Now that implies that he has neither seen nor known God in times past with the present result that he is still invisible and unknown to him. The particular word for see here means to see with discernment. We, in his translation of the New Testament, is written, 1 John 3, 6, Everyone who in him is constantly abiding is not habitually sinning. Everyone who is constantly sinning has not with discernment seen him, nor has he known him with the result that that condition is true of him at present. That is to say, at that present time. The active word here is at present. Transgression of the law, lawlessness, as used by John, is the persistent contempt of divine protocol, regardless of divine admonition and or divine intervention. Intervention takes many forms. He, that is God, will not let us harm his kingdom. In 1 John 3, 4, and in similar places in John's epistle, John uses a continuous present tense, means continuous action. A continuous present in verse 4 denotes a person's habitual attitude towards sin as expressed in his practice of it. David, when he gave us early on the meaning of certain tenses, told us the present tense is simply continuous action. The aorist tense is completed action in the past. And then this very unusual perfect tense means action completed in the past with the result it stands complete. John is not speaking of a state of perfection in which in which it is impossible to sin. Oh no. But he is stressing that a Christian cannot keep on practicing sin because God, and listen to this, God in some way and somehow will intervene. The most illuminating passage, in my view, is 1 John 3, verses 4 through 11. And it is rendered somewhat obscure by the translation of the Greek word anomia as transgression in verse 4. The discussion of these scriptures cannot be understood unless one considers the difference 
between the sin of a believer over against, vis-a-vis, an unbeliever. God corrects his children. Let me read that one again. The discussion of these scriptures cannot be understood unless one considers the difference between the sin of a believer as over against an unbeliever. You see, God corrects his children, believers. Only if one understands the specialized meaning of anomia, I in front of a Greek noun means negative, in other words, not a believer, can a serious student understand anomia unless, excuse me, (laughs) lawless meaning lawless sinning. Anamim means lawless sinning or habitual sinning. Anomia is used by John, as used by John, describes the condition of the unbeliever in time. The psalmist describes this condition in Psalm 1 verse 4. I'm going to give you an expanded translation of the Hebrew. Psalm 1.4 The unbelievers are different, for they are like chaff, which the wind blows away. Let's see how anomia is used in 2 Thessalonians 2.7, Hebrews 4.12, 2 Corinthians 6.14, and 1 John 3, 4. Well, iniquity in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And we've studied 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in great detail. So, iniquity singular. Now, let's look at iniquities plural in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 12. It's translated unrighteousness. In 2 Corinthians 6, 14, be ye not unequally yoked together, talking about marriage, with unbelievers, For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? Also, translation, transgression in 1 John 3, 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. Contrast this concept of lawlessness with that of righteousness, which drives and motivates the believer. The believer has a new nature that is a product of God and cannot go in the ways of lawless sinning, for such would result in God's intervention. The unregenerate prove their lost estate by their ability to sin 
lawlessly without pain of heart. This in contrast to what David felt as a believer. Yes, it is that suffering to which David referred when he said, When I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. The child of God, when sinning, experiences the grieving of the Spirit of God, which experience will excuse me, <clears throat> will restrain him from that carelessness of a soul termed termed anomia, lawlessness. Hebrews twelve six, for example, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So you see, sons receive chastening. Now, an unbeliever may receive chastening, but it'll be completely different and in another vein than what the believer receives. All right, I'm going to give you point 12, and then I'm going to turn it over to David. Are you ready, David? Absolutely. All right, First John 3.10 declares that this ability to sin lawlessly distinguishes the children of the devil from the children of God. All right, David, take over in 1 John 3.10. In the KJV, in this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness, is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. It is also true that no body of Scripture has prompted so many varied interpretations. These passages were set up a distinction between sin with its source in Satan and righteousness with its source in Christ. Probably the key phrase in this context is, sin is the transgression of the law. John includes here all sin, not some sin. It is lawlessness against God and all that his holy character demands. 1 John 3, 4. Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Sin in verse 4 most certainly refers to all sin and not merely to bad sins. The passage certainly asserts that the essential character of sin, as the Greek word hamaratia implies, is lawlessness. Lawlessness indeed, which is foreign to the Christian's redemption. New birth by the Spirit and present position in Christ. 1 John 3.5 And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. In verse 5, the Apostle John refers to the power of saving grace. This is made clear in verse 6, which reads, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. 
In verse 6, we find the unqualified assertion, whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. When abiding in him, lawless sinning is excluded. The one who practices sin neither sees nor knows Christ. This person's vision and understanding are dulled by the practice of sin. The truth could not be denied by any believer who knows from personal experience the effect of sin upon his own heart. 1 John 3, 7. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. The statement of verse 7 addressed to the little children of God is exceedingly forceful and vital. It is there written, little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. The verse declares that the only one who practices righteousness is by his new birth a partaker of the imputed righteousness of God. 1 John 3, 8. <clears throat> he that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The believer is not only expected to practice righteousness, for he is righteousness, righteousness according to his eternal standing in Christ. Similarly, he that practiced lawlessness is of the devil. 1 John 3, 9. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. There is no basis in this passage for the doctrine of sinless perfection on the part of some Christians. There are no such Christians. It will be remembered that John was warned here against such conclusion. 1 John 8, 9, and 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceiveth ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise God. That's a powerful verse. We've heard it a few times, haven't we? Amen. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Nor does the Bible teach here or elsewhere that Christians do not sin. It does teach, however, that the Christian retains his Adamic, carnal nature until the day of his death. That's me. <laughs> The Bible also teaches that the Christian, being indwelt by the Holy Spirit, is possessed with a new standard of what is good or bad. His conduct either grieves or does not grieve the Holy Spirit. Additionally, the Christian himself is grieved, for example, David in Psalms 32, 3, and 4, and Paul in Romans 7, verse 18 through 25. Describe the pain and sorrow of a believer under the convicting and intervening ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. Psalms 32, 3 and 4. When I kept silence, 
My bones wax old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. David, I really believe that mm-hmm. verse is talking about using rebound. First John 1 John 1.9 When I kept silent, oh, it was rough. But when I confess my sin, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah, which means amen. Romans 7, verse 18 through 25. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh of the law of sin. David, this is where I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I think. I mean, I know I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ from some of my childhood writings, but here I realized this man, Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, said of himself, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So it is to be concluded, therefore, that the child of God cannot sin lawlessly without great suffering and that suffering is due to the presence of God's divine seed or God's nature which resides in him. All right, David, take it back over. This reaction of the divine nature against sin in the Christian could never be experienced by unregenerate men who have not the spirit. Jude 19 and 1 John 3.10 describe the divisive ministry of unbelievers acting under the guidance and direction of Satan. They are unbelievers sinning lawlessly or habitually. 1 John 3.10 In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. Neither he that loveth, not his brother. Jude 19. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit of God. Let's see how one of the gospel writers treated this very complex subject. Book of Matthew. Paul 
and the anonymous writer of the book of Hebrews translate Alamia as a special force extant in the world and thus a cloak of iniquity worn by every unbeliever. Interesting, huh? Mm-hmm. And I'll read Matthew seven twenty three. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And then Matthew thirteen forty one, reading through twenty four twelve, and shall cast him into a furnace. Excuse me, I jumped a verse, didn't I, Dave? Mm-hmm. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and then which do and them which do iniquity. And then verse 42, And shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Uh-oh, he's starting to, he's starting to describe me now, David. <laughs> And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And then back to Romans and the writing of Paul. Romans six nineteen and 20. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For, for us ye have yielded your members, servants, to the uncleanness and to iniquity, unto iniquity. Even so now yield your members, servants, to righteousness, unto holiness. For what ye were, or excuse me, for when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. And then our very famous verse in Second Thessalonians 2, 7, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let. And that's the Holy Spirit. And when he's taken out of the way, then all things change. Let me start over there. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. That's the devil. And the devil's programs. Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And of course, that would be at the rapture. And then Titus 2.14, who Christ gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a particular people, zealous of good works. All right, David, take over for old Titus. Titus 2.15, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Hebrews 1.9 Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Romans 4.7 Saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. 
In the expanded translation of Psalms 1, 3, and 4, the believer shall be like a tree planted by the river who brings forth fruit in his season. His leaves shall not wither, and whatever he pursues will be successful. The unbelievers are different, for they are like chaff, which the wind blows away. Praise God. Pastor Merritt, could you lead us in a closing prayer? Surely. Father, we are grateful that we can study the scripture and find out so many things that we had no idea existed and things that have now been answered by our study of sin and the difference between the sin of the unbeliever and the sin of the believer. So thank you for the privilege of being able to study your word and make it a presentation. So guide us now and direct us and help us to remember that whoever believes on the Lord Jesus Christ is a different creature. So help us to be mindful of that. All right, David. Glad we're a different creature. You betcha, you betcha. We appreciate you being with us today. We look forward to having you here next week. And like we always like to say, or at least I like to say, and Pastor Merritt agrees, if there's anyone out there without Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, you got a lot of what it is the Christian is about, okay? We are all sinners, okay? And this, as believers, this stuff hits us right in the face because that's who we are. We are we fall short every day. But we get up and try again. But until next time, so long. <laughs>